Well, good morning, Red Hills Church. How are you doing this morning? Good. Good to see you. Hey, can we uh, welcome everyone watching online? Come on, let them know how much you love them. We're so thankful for you uh, watching online, being a part of what God is doing at Red Hills Church. If you're new, my name is Aaron Anson. I am the lead pastor for one more day of Red Hills Church. This is my last Sunday uh, being your pastor. It has been over nine years of being here at this church, and my wife and I are so grateful, so thankful, so blessed by this community, by Newburgh uh, in Red Hills Church. You know, the last couple weeks has been a series of lasts for me. And last night, I just want to tell you, every Saturday night, I go in my office and I pray for you and I prepare my sermon. And I realized when I first moved to Newburgh, because I, I realized on Saturday night, we hung out with friends one Saturday night, and I could not stop thinking about my message. So I thought, I have to go in to my office and think about my message. And I was just kind of thinking about uh, the sermons that I've done over the last uh, over nine years. And I've preached about 400 sermons. I've preached 400 sermons, and I've preached those sermons an average of two and a half times because sometimes we had three gatherings, sometimes we had two, sometimes we had four. All right. So I've preached a thousand times at this church. I've uh, studied about 15 hours a week for a sermon. That's how long it takes to put a sermon together. So I've studied over 6,000 hours of the Bible to preach and to teach the Word of God. And today's my last sermon with you. Everything boils down to today. I never imagined this moment. A pastor never plans his last sermon with a church. But today, here it is. I want to talk about uh, that today. There, there was um, a season in the life of our church. It was in 2016 where we changed the name of our church. Has anyone been around long enough to go through our name change? Uh, and in our name change, I remember someone at our church saying, they said, Aaron, actually they've said this to me since I had been here, it, since 2013. They said, we used to print off t-shirts once a year. He goes, I love getting church t-shirts. And so with the name change in 2016, 16 and 17 and 18, we went on a t-shirt mania. We printed thousands of t-shirts. Does anybody remember that? Thousands. We spent probably $40,000 on t-shirts over two years. Uh, and, uh, and it was interesting because some of you think, oh, well, that's a lot of shirts and that's a lot of money. But we had uh, so many t-shirts going around that we would find the t-shirts at Goodwill. And I remember one girl, uh, she came up to me at church, and she missed out on the limited edition. If you remember this shirt, it says, I love my church. All right, it's a limited edition. We printed about 1,000 of those, uh, and it was to get people to just buy into the mission and vision of Red Hills Church at that time. And she said, I never got one of those shirts, so I saw it at that thrift store on Main Street. I think it's called Lucky Finds. It was in the window, and she went in and bought it. And I thought, that is redemption, right? <laughs> Buying back something that's already been paid for. And it gave me the idea that every time I see Red Hills Church shirts in the thrift stores at Goodwill, I'm going to buy them back. I'm going to redeem those because they're that important. And, and, and we even started hearing about people coming to our church 
because they saw someone wearing a T-shirt. And we printed out probably 2,000 shirts that said, it's okay to not be okay. I mean, we plastered that message all over town. I saw people who didn't even go to our church wearing that shirt. And uh, how many of you, how many of you, your church t-shirts turn into work shirts? Does anybody, does that happen? Work, for me, it's workout shirt, and then it turns into a work shirt. And um, a few years ago, someone in our church named Linda, she uh, made me a gift, and she handed me a blanket. And as a pastor, or as a man getting a blanket, I kind of thought, well, you know, and to myself, like, what, what, kind, what, what is this? Why am I getting a blanket? <clears throat> and uh, she was a, uh, uh, a blanket maker or a quilt maker. And, and she took all the T-shirts um, from Red Hills Church during a two-year period, and she quilted them together. And she handed this to me, and I've showed this on and off to our staff. But as I, as I look at this shirt, I'll just let you read some of the shirts. Some of you, you want those shirts. Some of these you will never find again unless you dig through Goodwill. You might find some. And she handed me this shirt, in, 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 or this, uh, this quilt, and, um, and I had received, one other time in my life, I had received another quilt. All right? Apparently, and some of you are going to start giving me quilts as gifts. When I graduated Bible college, when you became a licensed ordained pastor at Bible college, these old women in the Foursquare Church would make you a quilt. Do you know what, did that happen to you? And they would give you a quilt on the day of your licensing ceremony. And I I tell you, and I I love that blanket, but that, that blanket is like, I didn't fold it up nicely, we actually used it, and it's like falling apart. And I realized that there is a difference in quality of quilts. And Linda just happens to be a master quilt maker, quiltess. I don't know what you call them, someone who makes quilts. And and I realized the, the strength and integrity and the beauty of a quilt is not just found in the panels that make up the quilt, but it's actually found in the stitching. It's found in something that you can't always see, and you can't always articulate. And it's the seams that bind the quilt together that make it beautiful. I started thinking about us as a church, you as a church, God's church. And I started thinking about uh, that, that this is kind of like the church, that each one of you is unique Each one of you represents uh, 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 just a a different culture or a different style. You represent a different message. You have unique talents and giftings. And what binds us together as a church and makes a bunch of unique individuals something that is collective together is not the message that gets printed, but it's the seams that bind us together. And so I wanted to share about the seams that bind us together together. And the message on these shirts represents uh, themes, seams that bind us together as a church family, that hold us together, the things that you don't often see, but things that you feel and things that you experience, things that hold you together. I want to point this out today, and I want to talk about the t-shirts up here 
Because I want to remind you of the seams that hold us together. I want to encourage you and reinforce who God has called you to be. Because the themes on these shirts, although the language might be unique to something we created in the last six or seven years, uh, the reality is this, that this is who God made you to be. The language may change, but the DNA won't. And so I wanted to talk about each one of these shirts today because they represent a seam that bind us together. The first one is our most popular shirt that we ever made, and it's this one that says, it's okay to not be okay. How many of you have this shirt? Uh, we might still, if you want some of these, we might still have a handful of these in somewhere in the basement. You want one. All right, we'll get you a shirt. It might be an extra small, but <laughs> or like a triple X large. All right. Um, so we, yeah, we printed this, I mean, thousands. We got three different colors and the camo one was like that was the favorite one like that if you have that one you're special because we only we didn't think that would be as popular as it was but it was really popular in fact this shirt represents two seams that I want to talk about that hold us together as a church the first one is this it's the seam of acceptance the seam of acceptance you see we wanted everyone who walked through the doors of our church to feel loved and accepted to feel like they belonged like they were welcomed home, to feel comfortable, to feel loved, to feel like they were a place where people saw them, loved them for who they are. I, I like how Romans talks about accepting one another. Romans says this, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. It was interesting because after printing these shirts for two and a half years, uh, two and a half years after printing those shirts, we started hearing people say when they were baptized, when I came into the church and I saw we had a big logo of this on the door up here in 2016, it's okay to not be okay. I knew this was church, the home for me. And, and it started be, to become part of who we are, that people felt loved and they felt accepted. It's interesting because some people struggle with the idea of acceptance in church, and they struggle with it this, because they confuse God's love and acceptance with God's approval. See, God's love and acceptance is unconditional. He loves everyone because everyone is a child of God. He created everyone, and he loves his creation. But love and acceptance is not the same as approval. I think there's another element in here that over the last nine years, I've tried to teach you and to reinforce in you this principle of grace and truth as a church. It's interesting because some churches err on the side of grace and some churches err on the side of truth. Grace where everyone's loved and accepted, doesn't matter how you live, doesn't matter what you say, like you, you, are, you are welcome here, you're part of the community. And then truth is, here's what the Bible says. And, and, and people fear being one or the other because they don't want to turn into a legalistic, moralistic church where it's all about performance. And on the other side, people don't want to be a part of a church where anything goes. But here's what I find interesting, that when we look at the life of Jesus, that, that, that Jesus didn't just balance grace and truth. He was grace and truth. That Jesus had the ability to be 100% grace and 100% truth. Listen, our church is a church full of grace 
and truth. I believe as a follower of Jesus, we can be 100% gracious and 100% truthful, relying on the word of God. I think we should aspire to be both. It is not a half and half. It is 100% of both. The second seam in this church, a shirt, it's okay to not be okay, is this, the seam of vulnerability. It's interesting because the strength of a Christian is not in his or her, her ability to be perfect. The strength of a Christian is in his or her ability to admit weakness. I read this first last week, but I, I think it bears repeating. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And in fact, I mentioned this last week that this was, I, this is the first sermon I ever preached to adults was from this verse. I was 21 years old. And it meant a lot to me then because I could not preach. No one went to me as a young guy and said, you know what, you're going to be anointed to be a communicator and preacher of God. Like, no one said that to me. So when I got up, I literally preached the verse that gave me the strength in order to preach. It says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. Help me out here in Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. See, in the gospel story, weakness is the way to strength. This is countercultural. All right? Usually, we don't talk about our weaknesses unless you're asked at an interview. And if you study how to answer that question, and by the way, if you ever interview people, like your people interviewing know like you're trying to trick them because what you try to do is give a weakness that's really a strength. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's just a dumb idea. Just give your, give your weaknesses. But we have a hard time admitting our weaknesses, admitting our pain, admitting our sin, admitting the hurts. In fact, when we moved here nine years ago, Brianne and I, uh, had this prophetic picture of Newburgh uh, uh, in, in that it, it, it was when we, when we moved here, people would say, this had the most churches per capita than any other city. And we're like, what? What are people talking about? And there was this thing in 1980 or something that somebody said that, but it actually wasn't true because we have less churches today than we did back then. But we realized that there was this kind of veneer over our town of religiosity. And Brianne and I wanted to kind of peel back that veneer and see what's underneath. That's why we started to say things like, at our church, it's okay to not be okay. Because we wanted people to be vulnerable. We wanted people to, uh, to, to, because when you're vulnerable and you admit what's really going on, that's when Jesus can change you. That's when transformation happens. God, God does not change things that you won't admit to that you won't confess to, that you won't open up to him. And what we usually do in our culture is we try to hide. Actually, that's not a cultural thing. That's a human thing. When Adam and Eve were in the garden after they took a bite of the fruit, the first thing they noticed, the first thing they noticed, they looked at each other and they said, uh, you're naked. <laughs> and they said they were ashamed. And it literally says that they sewed fig leaves together. And then they hid from God. And after God talks about the curse of the ground and the, and the curse of work and, uh, and the curse of the serpent, it goes on to say that God was walking in the cool of the day. You remember this part of the story? And, and he goes, Adam, where are you? It's interesting because uh, it's not like God didn't know where Adam was. 
right? God wasn't playing some like divine hide and seek with Adam. Like, Adam, where are you? Boo! And tickle him. You, now you know what it's like to be my child. <laughs> what was God doing? God wanted Adam to confess where he was, to admit where he was, to speak out and say, I'm here. This is what I did. And God says, why, why did you hide? Because I was naked and I was afraid. Because he had shame. You see, God wanted Adam to come clean, to identify his own weaknesses, his own sin. And what did God do? After he, Adam and Eve admit where they're at, what, what did God do? I think he looks at them and he realizes those fig leaves are not enough to cover you up. And it says this. God is the first fashion designer, by the way. It says this, that he sewed animal skins together and clothed Adam and Eve. But it's more than just providing them clothing. It's actually providing them honor and protection from the shame that they experience. You see, all of us want to be clothed with the power of Jesus Christ. We, we want to be clothed in honor, and the path to do that is to admit your weakness and vulnerability. It's interesting because counselors call this attunement. And it's when someone expresses an emotional need or a need, and that need is fulfilled, and there's this emotional connection that happens. And I believe this is what is happening between Adam and Eve and God. There's this emotional connection because a need is fulfilled. The need is satisfied in Adam and Eve, the seam of vulnerability. The, the next shirt I want to talk about is this red one. Does anybody have a red shirt left? All right. Thank you, Tony. One. All right. This was worn by our guest services team. And now you wear something that's blue. I think people had, they didn't like the red color. They said it didn't go good with their skin. So now we do blue. Uh, and the shirt says, I'm so glad you're here. And we had everyone wear these at the high school as people came in. And this seam is the seam of hospitality. The seam of hospitality. When, when I arrived uh, over nine years ago, um, if you remember back then, we used to, we've always served coffee, um, but nobody drank our coffee. And we had a tip jar by the call. Well, some of you drank it because you don't care what it tastes like. But, uh, and there was a tip jar there. Do you remember the tip jar? And, um, and I went to our council and I said, we've got to upgrade our coffee. Uh, and we had um, pre-ground bulk coffee from Costco. It's like a step above Folgers. I said, we've got to go with good coffee. I had to convince them to spend money on coffee. And I had a reason for it. It wasn't just because I was a coffee fanatic, because I'm really not a coffee snob. It's because I believe when people know they're taken care of, they experience something that otherwise you cannot say to them. And it isn't about coffee. It's about making people feel welcome. And that's why we call our guest services guest services. We want people to feel like they are welcomed. I like what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.8. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
You know, people will not often remember what you say, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Words matter, but they don't matter as much as the culture and the, and the love and the, uh, and the hospitality that you bring. It's interesting because the Bible talks quite a bit about welcoming the outsider, the stranger, the refugee. You've heard it said that the church is the only organization whose membership exists for the, the outsider, for those who are not yet members. We offer hospitality as a welcoming people to welcome people in. We want them to experience what we experience. I want to look at the next shirt. The next shirt is uh, the lightning bolt. And the lightning bolt, this was on the back of the shirt, and, and, and actually this was on the front of the shirt, and the back of the shirt said strike team. Does anybody remember what strike team was? All right. No one had the privilege of being on the strike team in this room. No, you were on the strike team, weren't you? The setup teardown team. All right. You didn't get a shirt. All right. We'll have to maybe cut that one out and give it to you. Kate, can we have a shirt made especially for Michael? Um, uh, so when we met at the high school, some of you um, have not have been here after the pandemic started, but we used to move, meet at Newburgh High School Auditorium, and uh, we would set up and tear down for 900 people. And I tell you, it was a, a, an amazing process to see. We've got three trailers that are loaded with equipment, and and, and after a while, the the setup teardown just became so smooth. And we called everyone on that team. We called them the strike team. Uh, and, uh, and these were the men and women who got up earlier than everyone else and stayed later than everyone else to set up and tear down. And the seam I want to talk about with the strike team is the seam of servanthood, the seam of servanthood. Peter goes on to say this. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We are all called to serve others. I've always said everyone has a ministry in the church and everyone has a mission outside the church. If you add up the one another's in the scripture, you'll find there's about 91 another's and it's all about serving one another in the church. We are all called to serve one another. You know, early on, I, I learned a very important principle as a pastor. Because the, the first couple years as a pastor, the church is starting to get to know you, and people are deciding whether they're going to stay or not. And people would often come up to me, and they would complain about something. And uh, it was, I don't like the way you do this. I don't like the music like this. I don't like, you know, people would begin to complain. And I learned something very early on. If I investigated whether this person had ever served, nine out of ten times the answer was no. And if I ever asked our bookkeeper, do they ever give? Nine out of 10 times was no. That the people who had the most complaints were the least invested into the church. Now, those people who did give and serve, I took seriously. It's like, oh, well, you, you matter. Why? Because that represented their investment and their commitment to the body of Christ. And this is what I've learned. This is so important. That the happiest people in the church are those who give and serve the church. If you're frustrated with the church, join a team and join a group and start giving. 
Now, some of you might say, well, the people who serve in the front door that say, I'm so glad you're here or welcome home or whatever they say today on their blue shirts, you might say, well, well, they love the church, therefore they serve. And the way it works at our church is we try to get you in next steps and we try to get you serving as quickly as possible. And I guarantee people who were part of Strike Team, they didn't wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning and said, oh, I'm so thankful to get up early and set up everything. What, what, what happens is your heart follows your serving. Your heart follows your money. Your heart follows your serving. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. The greatest treasure that you have is your time and your talents. So one, the, your time is the one thing that you can never get back. It's the greatest asset that you have in life. And to give that to God's church, to give that over to God's church. What's my point here? Stay faithful to Jesus. Stay faithful to Jesus. I've always said that big faith comes through a series of small steps of faith in our life. Maybe some of us were taught that to believe in Jesus, you have to take one giant step of faith. Maybe someone drew a picture with like a chasm and said, you have to jump over this chasm or you have to walk over the bridge. But I believe faith is a series of small steps in the right direction. Because faith is the size of a mustard seed. It's tiny, it's not big faith. And people who have great faith, they've just had faith in the right direction for several years. And I believe faithfulness to Jesus is faithfulness to his church. The next shirt is this, is I belong to a tribe. Now we had a, a women's shirt made, and we had a, do we have another one? Oh yeah, there you go. We had a men's shirt made, and, and I think we still have, do we still have some of these shirts? All right, we saw some of these shirts. Ask Kate if you want a shirt. We will give these shirts away before the next pastor comes, all right? <laughs> um, uh, let me tell you about the genesis and the story of tribes. In 2016, we did an all-church small group campaign, and we called it Transformed. And we did a curriculum from Rick Warren, and, and we just, it was the first time we had everyone in the church join a group. We had 95% of our church adult attendance in a small group during that time. And the next year, we did another small group. And the third year, we did small group. We did, the small group curriculum was called Tribes. And it's the one that we wrote ourselves as a staff. And in that, that, that name stuck, that word tribe stuck. And, and after that, it became known that every group we do where people are connected is part of a tribe because we want people to belong to something. In fact, it says, I belong to a tribe. And when I wore that shirt to the gym, people would ask, what tribe do you belong to? And I got to tell them about Jesus and I got to tell them about our church. And this seam is the seam of community. It's the seam of community. What, what is community? C community isn't just getting together with friends and having fun. Community in the Bible is much bigger. Just think of the word, calm, which means with unity. To have true community, you have to have unity. And the strength of a tribe is unity. I like how... Luke says in Acts chapter 4.32, he says, All the believers were one in heart and in mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Talk about being different than the world. The church started in diversity. It started in diversity, and the thing that brought the church together was Jesus. You know, it's interesting, when I 
years ago, I did a sermon series in Philippians, with nine months through the book of Philippians, and we started in Acts 16, the birth of the Philippian church. And the birth of the Philippian church is the most diverse church that you will hear of. It happens because Paul sets a slave girl free from a demonic oppression that caused her to tell uh, the future. You know that? So a slave girl, she's oppressed. Um, and then he tells Lydia, and Lydia's from Thyatira, so you have, and she's rich, so you have a rich Asian woman that first hears the gospel. You have a poor slave girl who gets set free from oppression. And then you have the Roman jailer who gets baptized and his whole household gets baptized. So you've got east and west, you've got poor and rich, and they are the beginning of the Philippian church. The church is a church of diversity, and the one thing that holds us together is Jesus. It's not your political ideology. It's not your opinions. It's Jesus. It's the doctrine of Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus. That's the one thing that holds us together. It's Jesus in the community. Before we had a group called, or a class called Next Steps, we called it Launch. And with this class, we did it for two years. We had hundreds of people go through this class, probably three or 400. And 99 out of 100 people, I'd always ask them this question, what do you, why, why are you coming to our church? I said a little more gentle than that, but it was, you know, why, why, are you, uh, why, why are you coming to our church? What are you looking for in a church? 99 out of 100 people, uh, they said one answer, and it was community. None of them said, oh, I want to hear good sermons. It's funny because people go and leave churches because of sermons. Um, uh, none of them said because, because I want to hear good worship. <laughs> Every single one, 99 out of 100. There's always that one that says something weird, but <laughs> 99 out of 100 would say because I want friends to do life with. I want community. I want to be with people, serve Jesus with other people. I belong to a tribe. Let, let's look at the last shirt. This was the first shirt. And this is one that you'll have a hard time finding today. I know we don't have any more of those because I took like four of them. <laughs> and you tell they're even like faded. And that, I don't know why that one's smaller, but you can tell they're, maybe we reprinted some at one point. And, um, and I, I, I love my church. This was the first shirt that we printed thousands of. This was the one in Lucky Finds Thrift Store that was in the window that got redeemed. Um, and, and this series was really, uh, or this shirt was really about people um, giving their lives to the church, giving their lives to Jesus in the church, and to love his church. And it's the theme of sacrifice. And the theme of sacrifice is putting other people's needs above yourself. Again, it's a, a thing that holds the church together that's often not seen because it's done in humility, but it's putting other people above yourself. And part of that is loving the church. There's a passage, and this passage is about marriage, but I want to talk about how much Jesus loved the church. In Ephesians 5, it says this. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And it describes what Christ did for the church. And he gave himself up to her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, 
and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Our calling as the people of God is to love his church. People who don't love the church love to point out the flaws in the church. They love to point out what's wrong with the church. They might say, I don't like organized church. And I say, you certainly don't like disorganized church either. And it's interesting because you cannot love Jesus and not love the church. It'd be like comparing it to this, like you would, if you didn't like the church but you like Jesus, it'd be like going to your friend and say, man, I really like hanging out with you when we go play golf. It's so much fun. I love talking to you. We have a great time together, but your wife, she really bothers me. I don't like her. Her music's too loud. She says things that hurts my feelings. And I, I just, I like you, but, but I don't like your spouse. You, you, you cannot love Jesus and not love the church. You cannot not love the very thing that Jesus died for. My encouragement to you, Red Hills Church, is to love this church. It's to love the capital C church, but it's to love Red Hills Church. It's to love your church. Even with flaws, it's to love this church. It's to put a commitment to the church above your own. This theme is about putting the church's needs above your own needs. And it's not withholding any sort of love or affection or even finances towards the church. When I got here nine years ago, People withheld their tithe to see if they liked me or not. Please don't do that. That is not biblical. That is not biblical. Do not withhold love, commitment to God's church. Because the church is not made up of just one panel and one person. The church is not supported by the staff. The church is every single one of us who are knitted together in unity. And I would say, in sacrifice, support your pastors. In the future, I don't know when, but in the future, you will have a new senior pastor. And I ask that you love them as much as you've loved Brianne and I. When we came nine years ago, we felt so loved and supported. And I know I even see some of you that helped us move into our house. And some of you put wine in our fridge, which was a nice gesture. <laughs> but, I, but I remember, I, I mean, people started unpacking our boxes. They probably saw my underwear. I mean, they started putting our clothes in dressers. I mean, it made us nervous, but, but it was an act of, of love. And I ask you, I ask you from the bottom of my heart, would you love your next pastor as you much as you loved us. The average tenure of a pastor throughout America is three years at, at a specific church. I believe the strength of your love for that pastor 
is tied to their commitment and their tenure to this church. And some of you, I, I, I've seen from day one that we arrive, and I thank you for your faithfulness. And I ask you from the bottom of my heart to be faithful to this church, to be faithful to who's next, to stay connected and stay committed. We love you so much. Brienne and I deeply, deeply love you. We're proud of you. This church will always be a part of us, always be a part of us. I have a box of t-shirts I'm taking with me. I will wear them because we love this church. We love this church.